Okay, so this week uh, we've got Simon Dale from FPV UK on the podcast. Uh, so uh, welcome, Simon. Thank you very much for uh, appearing today. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Uh, we've also got Adam and uh, Matthew, uh, like normal um, as well. So welcome along, guys, um, too. So um, before we start, we're just going to have a quick overview of kind of uh, uh, Simon's uh, sort of backstory, I suppose, really. So um, obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, FPV UK and Article 16 in this episode. But to kick things off, um, Simon, how did you uh, get into uh, sort of uh, the drone industry? How did it all begin for you? Ah, well, um... Hmm. It was 2008 we started a, a, a retail business selling, um, sort of focused on FPV stuff, uh, so goggles, cameras, head trackers, OSDs, um, for people to put on existing model aircraft. Hmm. So things like a, an Easy Star um, was, the, was the chosen, the preferred uh, easy to fly, stable, aircraft that you could put your camera on and, uh, and fly a bit like a Bixler is it something like that it's exactly. I was about yeah. to mention that too <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the Bixler is an easy star clone yeah yeah I'm sure yeah. it is that's right yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so that's kind of where it started um, uh, just because we, we saw somebody doing that the um, mm. Denny Gratton doing his golf course video in Vancouver, I think, oh, right, uh, I where he'd literally disassembled a baby monitor and, and uh, put a, a TV screen at the bottom of a dustbin and he's looking through it to, uh, wow. to shield the light and he's flying around this golf course and I'm like, that is amazing. Let's... So that was really at the beginning of everything yeah. actually, wasn't it then, with a baby monitor, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so the first goggles we were using were not intended for FPV, yeah. Um, uh, they're just video goggles that you would plug in and, oh. in theory, watch a DVD or whatever. <laughs> um, um, we started uh, making a what we called the advanced flight kit, which was a a box with foam inserts, um, yeah. which had the goggles in, and then we would, depending on what you chose, we'd put a receiver in there, a camera, um, yeah. and we were sort of making these cameras, buying the security cameras, soldering a little 10 millimeter. 10 milliwatt transmitter, yeah, um, right. sticking it on the back with heat shrink, and then <laughs> a little JST connector, and you would put that in your aeroplane and um, mm. and go and fly. Cool. Um, so, so that was the sort of the origin, and then I think I think 2010, uh, January 2010. I could be wrong on this, but um, <laughs> I think we sold the first drone in the UK. Wow. Consumer. Consumer yeah, yeah, yeah. kit. I could be wrong. Someone will, one of your listeners will come along yeah, and say... Yeah, they might do. Although this is going in a fair way. This is going if anybody wants way. to trump it or wants to correct Simon, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. do get in touch. You might, yeah. might struggle. <laughs> so we were selling... Uh, it was called an X-Aircraft X600D, and it was um, not very good. Um, there's a video <laughs> on my YouTube of me hovering it in the kitchen in, in 2010 um, yeah. and it could sort of barely lift its own weight. Anyway, <laughs> then, then, then DJI came along and we, we, we thought they were great, the, the NASA, um, F450, the Phantom 1, etc, etc. I suppose the rest is history. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then a little bit later, I think 2016, I started Drone Doctor because we suddenly realised we're doing all these drone repairs um, but we've never sort of told anyone we do drone repairs. No. Um, so we sort of hived that out, if you like, made that its own brand. Oh, um, I, uh, I went off to China for three weeks to work in their 
repair center and learn yeah. how to disassemble and repair because the drone one. the drone doctor is actually an authorized repair shop yeah. they, for dji yeah, yeah that's right. dji recommended repair center nice um, yeah. yeah so i got an exam at the end i had to do a test um yeah. i was the first the first one uh, yeah, cool. to, to do that um yeah. Yeah, and they're still going. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah, involved we, anymore. We point people towards them, actually, when, when they say, oh, I've crashed my drone. And, you know, it's like, well, I've heard of this company and they seem quite good. So, yeah, we do point people towards, uh, yeah, well, yourself or the company. Yeah. Interesting little fact. Um, we used to have a customer at First Person View, the, the retail, Yeah. when we were selling FPV. This customer used to ring up and he was about 13 um, squeaky little voice and he was asking me the, the, the most intricate details about this FPV gear usually for about an hour at a time and he was quite a good customer in the end um, and then a few years later uh, he became an employee it turns out he lived locally and oh, we took him on as an engineer he's very very good at soldering mm. and then uh, a few years after that he bought the company so the guy who runs <laughs> Drone Doctor was originally a first person view customer, yeah. then an employee, and now and wow. now the, the owner. <laughs> it's, so. it's funny hearing all of this. It's funny how it's all uh, yeah, how it all works, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and uh, just to touch on the FPV UK, so um, in two thousand nine uh, I started FPV UK mostly um, through frustration with uh, the regulations so uh, the air navigation order was being changed in 2009 to say you must have direct and aided visual contact with the aircraft uh, sufficient right. to uh, monitor its flight path for the That's purposes right. of collision avoidance <laughs> um, and that obviously precluded FPV yeah and uh, fully enough years later the guy who wrote that bit of legislation um, was on our was on our side uh he's now retired from the caa and he was on our side um sort of challenging another piece of legislation the caa oh. were putting in but yeah we um uh formed the association which i think was about 15 people at that time oh, okay. and went to the caa and um in fact we got all the people who joined to write to their mps and because they're all over the country um it was 25 people and i think 18 of them wrote to their mps oh. Or, yeah. or, or, eight, or it was 18 separate MPs got letters. Some of them, there yeah. must have been some duplication. Um, two questions were asked in Parliament um, and they demanded that I have a meeting with the somebody from the CAA. And that's kind of how it got started. We, wow. we then got an exemption <laughs> that you could do FPV if you're a member of FPV UK and um. you flew a model that was less than two kilos and stayed below 400 feet and a few different things and then a year later we expanded it to everybody you didn't have to be a member of FPV UK and you could fly a three and a half kilo model oh. and then every year it was renewed until until these new regs came in basically where uh, right. FPV is allowed I see so. yeah oh, it's amazing what you, you can go. do then isn't it with a with a few sort of you know well-typed emails and yeah that, that's incredible <laughs> Yeah, I have absolutely. I have a feeling Simon's making that sound a lot easier than it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> I think we yeah. hugely condensed that story, but yeah, yeah, well no, done. I'm sure. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, it is. It's interesting how how that 
came about and that obviously leads us quite nicely so that was the how you got into the industry and then kind of the history of uh, FPV UK too so that's that, that's great to, to, to listen to so we're going to uh, talk about obviously the new regulations and uh, obviously article 16 now um, so in a nutshell what what uh, what is article 16 for people who uh, aren't aware uh, well let, let me give you a little bit of history so well as we know the rules changed um, beginning of this year mm. um, and it's all now based on um, the open category is that the aircraft will be have these C markings That's so you right. C0 yeah. to C, C4 yeah. and and then we have the A classes as to where you can fly those C marked right. aircraft yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is all fine and dandy and um, that works perfectly well for brand new aircraft that are coming out um, that Fingers are manufactured <laughs> yeah that are manufactured in a factory and but it doesn't really work for you know a balsa wood um, model aeroplane that was uh, that's been put together by an enthusiast or that's that's 30 years old mm. um, so the idea of article of the article 16 um, clause if you like in the regulations was that um, members of uh, recognized modifying associations could be exempt if you like uh, they don't use the word exempt but be sort of mm. carved out of those main regulations um, to cut continue what they were doing basically and, and the wording is something like that should be allowed to continue doing flying as they do today I see. Um, yeah obviously when that was written uh, before the new regs came in um, so it's it's slightly different to the open category um, r rather than having those uh, weight classifications mm. um, and the A classes of different different levels different permissions depending on the weight we just have one and one limit which is 25 kilos so okay. there's just one blanket yeah anything up to 25 kilos mm -hmm. um, and you have to be a member of the of a, a recognised model flying association. So okay. there's four uh, that you all know of. Um, it's not for commercial use. No. So that's a big difference. That's the key that's, point. Yeah. That's the key one. Um, and then in terms of distance from uninvolved people, um, slightly different. Obviously, in the open category, there's different rules depending, but. Um, with the Article 16 operational authorization, we just have one, and that is 30 meters, not within. So that means an imaginary bubble over an uninvolved person. Okay. She must not fly within 30 meters of them. Mm. So that that could be over overhead them or, or nearly overhead them. If you imagine the person's here, yep. thir that 30 meter bubble. Um, yeah. Whereas in the open category, it's always horizontal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just so, yeah. so just for to sort of the listeners that are, that are sort of listening um when we talk about the open category we talk about that column concept so you, you cannot overfly somebody whereas what simon's saying is put as per article 16 you could technically overfly somebody if obviously deemed safe to do so yeah similar to the gbc i guess isn't it yeah 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 so that's it uh in a nutshell there's um in terms of the areas you can fly so you you can't fly um, in a built-up area or mm -hmm. over a built-up area, but you can, there's a little caveat to that I'll come back to, but you can fly right up to the edge of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
So not like before, it used to be 150 metres from a congested area. It's now mm. it's now just not in a built-up area. Um, and a built-up area that is solely used for recreational purposes, so a public park, for instance, yeah. um, can can be flown in uh, under the Article 16 operational authorization, but okay. you do need to do a, a, a risk assessment. Ah, uh, I see. Now that puts a lot of people off, so uh, <laughs> because you think <laughs> risk, oh God, that yeah. sounds like a lot of work. But actually it doesn't need to be rocket science. And if you fly in the same place, it's often, um, you know, it will be the same risk assessment. You just have to, you know, redo it, if you like, just look at it again. Okay, has anything changed? Is that, you know, yeah. Um, is somebody where they where they weren't last time or whatever it's so we've got a template on our website we've also got an example one filled in um, which will uh, speed speed that process up Mm. Um, but yeah from our point of view it's it's uh, it allows our members to do everything that they could before and a little bit more because before you had to be 150 meters away from congested area now you can fly right up to it before you couldn't technically find a park now you can with a risk assessment um, before it was 50 meters from, um, it wasn't uninvolved people, what were they called before? Uh, I forget now, but um, people not under your control. It's That's now right. uninvolved people. Um, uh, it's now 30 meters in a bubble. Um, yeah, yeah uh, and then for non multi rotors, which perhaps isn't so relevant here, but we still have, uh, we used to have an exemption that allowed you to fly up to 1,000 feet if you're flying anything other than multi-rotors that's now yeah. built into this as well um, uh, so yeah i saw that in the oa actually as i was reading it yeah that's interesting yeah yeah so there's a few bits that have sort of been rolled in rather than us having to have an exemption issued every uh every 12 months that's just rolled into the to the authorization uh, so so sam just just want to clarify that just so it's so if it's multi-rotor they're still limited to the 400 feet that's but right if yeah. they're flying if they're flying fixed wing um, they could go up to, to say a thousand feet. A thousand feet, yeah, yeah. Excellent, and that's in yeah. and that's in any any area as long as it's a recreation a recreational area. Yeah, uh, well, uh, outside of a built-up area or, or within inside. a built-up <laughs> built area with a risk assessment. With a risk assessment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so There's that's the, so that's the key thing. They need a risk assessment if they're in a recreational area. If they're not in a recreational area, but, but they're outside of a built-up area, they don't need a risk assessment. So that's quite right. Yeah, yeah, totally okay. true. Um, there is um, two. There's a few other little stipulations, I suppose. Um, uh, we have a slightly enhanced um, reporting requirement, particularly if you are flying over 400 feet. Uh, um, the CA want to know of any problems that occur, occur there, because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know. That's under re- constantly under review, shall we say? That you know, if they if they if we start reporting loads of accidents, I don't know why we would. We've we've had it for more than ten years. Um, yes. But uh, but if you know, if if there was anything that, that occurred in that extra extra privilege, um, then uh, then they want to know about it and just a just culture sort of thing that we can learn from it and tweak as as required. So- I suppose, in a sense, that's the CAA's way of doing a risk assessment against the authorization, in a sense, because they're sort of monitoring it in that way and, re- and requiring that feedback to confirm that it's that it is safe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah. you know, we've actually had to do quite a lot more than we've ever done before um, in that we're now audited regularly by the 
the CAA, we, we now have this operational authorization, a bit more like you guys, I suppose, as an mm. RAE. Um, uh, annually audited, and we have to report um, any accidents or incidents. Um, so we, we've had to produce a sort of uh, reporting procedure. Previously, we'd only get that if there was a claim involved, um, mm. whereas now, you know, to some degree, that's um, perhaps a little bit over the top because model planes generally do crash. <laughs> that's that's that's, that's yeah. kind of the, their destiny. But uh, <laughs> um, Sam, correct but, me if I'm wrong, but it, I, I and I may I may be wrong because um, I'm sort of more familiar with the traditional model flying at model fields. But I understood that the reporting was only required if the accident happened outside of the boundaries of the field. Is that different for your authorization? Um, yes, I believe so. We're we're supposed to report any accident or incident, and it depends. We've got a flowchart in our handbook, depending how sort of severe it was. If anybody was injured, if um, fair enough, if yeah. an aircraft was involved, etc., etc., as to who needs to to be notified. It might ah, just I be see. us if you've just um, uh, you've just had a problem with your undercarriage, for instance. Whereas if you've yeah. Uh, endangered an aeroplane, then the CAA want to know about it, um, and possibly yeah. AAIB as well, depending. Mm. Yeah. So, Simon, I might be jumping the gun a little bit here in terms of our, our questions, but I think it's probably something that might be worth just bringing up now rather than leaving it further down the line. Mm. Obviously, you're mentioning quite a lot of, of model aircraft and you know, balsam-age model aircrafts. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen, I'm sure all the other guys have seen, probably a lot of people join these uh, organisations that perhaps aren't traditional model flyers, you know, that have gone and bought a Mini 2 or, yeah. you know, whatever, a DJI aircraft. Are, is Article 16 still applicable to these flyers? Does it, is it exactly the same principles that apply to you know, whether they are self-building their own aircraft or whether they are building from scratch? Yeah, good question. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Our membership is probably predominantly... Um, you know, commercial off-the-shelf mm. uh, DJI, quite honestly, DJI <laughs> products. Yeah. Um, and so the, the limits on the authorization, you can absolutely fly such an aircraft under the authorization, but you must be um, flying it manually. Um, now, I did go back for clarification on that and got them to change the wording slightly because the first authorization... Um, I think it said you had to use control sticks. And I said, what about motion controllers? What about touchscreen controllers? What mm. about uh, gesture control? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it was changed, I think, to say um, manual control, that, that you, are, you are controlling it. And it only moves in physical space under your command. It doesn't make its own decisions uh, and go, okay, yeah. over here. So um, you can't pre-plan a flight, you can't use the automated uh, you know, follow me mode, for example, or circle mode, whatever it is. It's got to be controlled by you, however the, con whatever control inputs you use, whether it's a sticks, gesture, yeah. it's the user inputting mm. the gestures. Yeah, there is a, a slight caveat to that, which is, <laughs> I said, what about pano mode? Because it moves, but it doesn't <laughs> move in physical space. Um, <laughs> And we had a little back and forth on that, and eventually they said, "Okay, pano <laughs> mode is." So they changed the wording to say if it uh, if it moves in physical space. Uh, um, right. So if it <laughs> if it 
pivots on its axis. Um, the aircraft has moved, but it's not. It's not. It's not moved. If you so see I, I mean. suppose then uh, that includes return to home as well. You wouldn't theoretically be able to use return to home as either. If... Oh, you are as long as it's an emergency. Ah, okay. So, so not sort so, of standard procedure for your normal landing. If you're in trouble, exactly. if you're disorientated, you could go ahead and use the system if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Uh, exactly right. So if the battery goes flat or drops out the bottom of the drone, well, that's not going to work. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work so well. <laughs> if the battery gets low, um, yeah, yes. then it will uh, it, it will fly it, it, uh, it flying back and doing its normal RTH and perhaps ascending to avoid trees and coming back and landing is, yeah. is all fine but yes i think some people do just use that as a matter of course um, mm. when it's time to land uh, they press rth and it comes back that's technically not per- no. not permissible under the yeah. article 16 yeah, yeah. no it's, it's interesting i think it's obviously been very well thought out and you know the wording is critical and it sounds like that most scenarios have sort of been thought of which is which is interesting to hear from sort of you know the the horse's mouth i suppose <laughs> <laughs> yeah it got there eventually it took mm. quite a lot of uh, back and forth and thinking uh, what if that happens and then that happens <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's it and i think one of the main things that we have to deal with and uh, i'm sure adam and matthew can sort of back me up on this is that within our our company and within our facebook group you know people are talking about the a2 cfc qualification uh you know whether they should do it whether they need it and sometimes we get people coming up in the the comments saying you know don't worry about that just go for article 16 and sort of crack on almost like it's the the holy grail of of, of things that people aren't thinking about and obviously you mentioned the fact that uh, article 16 can't be used commercially which is the first big one but i wonder you know it, it, was that the ethos? It's not to give someone a get out of jail free card, is it? Here, I, I shouldn't imagine. It's like you mentioned, to try and help people carry on with what they were doing. But we see potentially people might be taking advantage potentially of of this article potentially. Do you see that at all? Or um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's um, have to be careful with it. Um, that's that's the big key point is that you can't use it commercially. So if anyone intends to uh, to use their drone um, for commercial purposes, and and actually our insurance isn't sort of jumping ahead a bit, but our insurance uh, isn't allowed. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a call which is cancel that. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the head- headphones just suddenly went off. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so the obviously as you know you to fly for rewards you need ec 785 slash 2004 compliance insurance which um association insurance isn't um so so there's two reasons that association membership isn't um suitable if you intend to use your drone commercially right Um, Mm. um but yeah i mean on the on the other hand i sort of see some members going and doing a2 cfcs who because they've sort of got caught up in the hype that, oh, I should go and do this. And actually, they only intend to, to fly recreationally. They're going to mm. fly uh, away from built-up areas as they used to. You know, yeah. Actually, the old rules, 150 metres and 50 metres, were perfectly fine for them. But they've said, oh, yeah. I've heard I've got to go and do this A2 Sushi. <laughs> and uh, they didn't necessarily need to. So, yeah. yeah, so there's two different sides, I guess, isn't there? To, yeah, to, to the that. same coin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting, yeah. yeah I suppose um, it's Adam, an interesting else? one because you've got yeah. sort of the 
I suppose people always want the best that they can get, you know, re- regardless of what they've read into what they need. You know, we 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 get quite a lot of people that do the A2C if you've only got a Mini 2, you know, and under the regulations, actually, they don't need it. We're always up front. Actually, what you're doing, you probably don't. There's nothing wrong with doing it because obviously it goes, the training goes above and beyond the, the Demares. Um, yeah. So it can never be a bad thing um, at absolutely, the end of the day. Yeah. But, but, but absolutely, you know, it's, it's one of those that do you need, you know, do you need articles? Do you need A2C of C? It's probably worth, if you are going to be investing in whatever, to thoroughly read art, you know, what what does Article 16 give you? What does the A2 CFC give you? Actually, what what is the open category? What are all the A1, A2, A3s? What what? Because it might be actually you don't need any. You might just fly in the A3 subcategory and crack yeah. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's 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 interesting to just kind of yeah hear hear your side of that. Mm. Um, <laughs> an interest. Do you do you guys need the the flyer ID? Do, do your members need a flyer ID? Because obviously as part of the the open category. Um, apart from sub 250 gram drones you don't need uh, for everything else you do need a uh, flyer ID so do you guys need to, to go through that process so interesting uh, it's, it's, it's about to change I had a meeting about this yesterday but I'll give you what it is now and then <clears throat> sort of tell you the date at the end so as it stands um, we have a 40 question Demares style test uh, online multiple choice um, you know three three answers um, that our members do and they get what we call as uh, FPV UK CFC drone law and that is recognized by the CAA as equivalent to the Demares but it um, doesn't give you a flyer ID so if you then want to go and fly in the open category you have to go and then do the CAA's uh, test um, so to, to fly under the Article 16 operational authorization, you can either have done our CFC drone law or you can have a flyer ID. But the other way around, in the open category, you have to have a flyer ID. Um, that's about to change in that where, uh, when you pass our test, you'll shortly be given a, a flyer ID. Um, oh, cool. It'll be, a, it'll be a, an association equivalent flyer ID, but it'll be... Um, it'll probably be prefixed with FPV for hours, for instance. It might be it might be FPV uh, hyphen RP hyphen eight numbers. Uh, okay. Um, we'll then give that to the CAA in a sort of daily upload, and that will be equivalent to to a CAA issued flyer ID in that you can then add an A2CFC to it. You can add a GVC to it. It is a flyer ID. Um, and then operates in the open category with that. Yeah. 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 That'll be interesting because we do get a lot of people that do, you know, have come with us. Oh no, I've done. I've got. I'm member of FPV UK. I'm a member of BMFA. Um, I don't need the flyer ID. We always have to be. You do need a flyer ID. Right? Yeah, you do need a flyer yeah. ID. Otherwise, we can't <laughs> test you. you. We need it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's so actually going to be better, I suppose, from a customer service point of view. That actually they don't feel like they're having to do multiple three, examinations. Three different they, little exams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's great. Um, yeah. Anything um, else to add, Matthew, at all? Or you've got a few just, other bullet points, th- haven't you? Yeah. yeah, I think there's a couple of things that we haven't touched on. Um, just jumping back a step or two, I think um, one of the issues that a lot of people have when they want to go out and fly in these... Um, uh, sort of parks and so on is landowner's permission is that still a requirement under article 16 do you specifically need landowner's permission yeah i believe so um 
I'd have to have a look through it, but yeah, I think that's in there. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. that you would. We were just wondering whether there is a difference or not. So it does make sense that that would be the case. Mm. And then um, sort of jumping forward again now um, from from uh, sort of feedback from your members and so on. How successfully are people operating under Article 16 already? I assume you have a lot of communication with the members. Um, I'm just wondering how successful it's been because it's still in its infancy at this stage. Yeah, feedback's good. I think... Um, yeah, a lot of members are using it. So um, to use it, you actually have to tick a box in our um, portal, if you like, mm, on your yeah. FPV UK account to say you've read and accepted the terms of the Article, Article 16 uh, operational authorization and you agree uh, to be bound by its terms and our handbook. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah, and I don't actually haven't actually looked at a number, but the vast majority of people have ticked that box. Um, yeah. And yeah, everyone's using it, using it happily as well. Yeah, know? fair enough. So there hasn't yeah. been sort of um, common, uh, you haven't had a lot of people coming back to you saying, well, we've tried to operate it, but we've had pushback from the public and so on. It seems like it's running relatively smoothly um, through a group of, of sort of conscious operators then, I mm. suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not had any, any problems like that, no. Fair enough. Uh, and if, if a group wanted to get together, if a couple of guys wanted to go out and fly, because of course that's part of the appeal of FPV is to go out with a bunch of mates and have good fun. And of course you're going to have your spotter with you. You may have two aircraft and swap roles and so on. If a group wanted to get together and do a sort of semi-formal get together, could they do that under the, the article as well? They could, yeah. Um, and there's a bit more to it than that. If they could, this is a new thing. Um, <laughs> if you could cordon off an area or yeah. or if your area is sort of sterile is, 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 is the term yeah. so if it's um, if it's naturally cordoned off or if you you know build a cordon or man a cordon or whatever it is then yeah. you can actually um, fly without individual spotters previously we had to have a ah. so if you're doing a competition you'd have to have a spotter for each pilot oh, right. which yes. we sort of said that's kind of bonkers um, <laughs> You know, especially with with an FPV race where you're probably not going above, you know, 100 feet. Um, you're it's got to be the safest form of aviation in a way. You've you've got you've yeah. got everybody in a field together. You can brief them in the morning. You've got marshals. You've got um, you know spotters. You've you've got cordons. You've got uh, and they never go above uh, 50 meters. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's. Uh, very often through trees and stuff it's very limited um risk to other parties so yeah uh, to third parties so yeah that's an extra little bit but yeah uh that's absolutely possible for mm. fpvs to go so, so, so in theory they could just be one person who is spotting for a m multiple pilots is that the idea yeah that yeah, sounds more yeah. sensible doesn't it i think <laughs> so they're spotting for the event as it were oh really yeah. oh okay yeah. nice yeah. yeah otherwise you'd need another yeah 10 or whatever people just standing there looking around with you really, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, a bit yeah. mad yeah interesting mm. i see that's good um, i've just yeah. got a um, question sam about sort of um i suppose it's more of a regulation side and how it works with the article 16 is it's about the you know the term assemblies of people um you know in the regulations it's you know you, there's no overflight of assemblies of people um and, you know and the the definition of assemblies of people there's no specific numbers but they say you know parks on a sunny day you know beach That's on a sunny right, day yeah. high street, you know those kind of things and obviously what i'm coming back to is those parks on a sunny day you know, where article 16 is kind of relevant um 
So, you know, let's say, for example, you know, you're a member of FP UK or, you know, whichever other organisation you're part of, and you think, oh, it's a lovely sunny day, I, everyone wants to fly on a lovely sunny day. You turn up to your, you turn up to the park, you know, packed out, there's people everywhere, you know. Is it, is it doable in terms of, you know, or would they have to make sure that, you know, they've got their 30 metre sterilised area in their park? Um, they Or can they just send their drone up? Yeah, um, I think that comes down to the risk assessment partly. So, so you're in that scenario where you where you need to think about that closely. Um, and I suppose from a legal perspective, to follow it all the way to the end, if how comfortable are you standing in court um, with your risk assessment that says, oh, I looked at this. You know, there were four thousand people in uh, 100 meters squared, and I thought, yeah, that seems safe and reasonable. Um, <laughs> you know, so so chances are, um, I mean, the, the assemblies of people, it's people who can't move out of the way. So the density of people is is too much for for people to be to be able to move out of the way. Um, is one part of it, um, mm. but yeah, I think it's just it's it's common sense to some yeah. to some degree. If it's super busy. Um, Choose somewhere else to fly. It's, yeah. uh, it's not <laughs> suitable. Yeah. That's. Uh, I just you know, pretty much what we what we sort of get at is you know, it's not it's not a get. As we kind of said it. It's not a get out of jail card. It is a you've you are still ultimately responsible for your flight. Uh, you've got to make sure yeah. the area is safe because at the end of the day, if your aircraft comes down, it's you as you've said that's got to stand up in court and say, um, mm. yeah. This is why I did it. Say, yeah. What was it? Was it safe? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Yeah. So yeah, Simon, exactly. of course, the the risk assessment comes hugely under critic um, if you sort of end up in that situation. But under normal circumstances, if you've had a good safe event, what what do you physically do with your risk assessment? Do you just file it uh, sort of in your own documentation for future reference, or what do you do with the risk assessment if under normal circumstances? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that. Just keep it. Uh, probably worth keeping for. For a while. Yeah, fair enough. So there's <laughs> no sort of specific, there's no specific portal that you would need to upload it to or anything. No. It's really for your own protection and sort of an assessment that you would do on site and then just keep for future record. Yeah, yeah. And no. just to go back, I mean, it sounds big and scary, but it needn't be complicated. It's common sense. You know, is it safe to fly here? Are, are there are there tons of people everywhere? Is there, yeah. um, you know, is there a big power cables, power cables, cable etc. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, this location is safe and it's safe now. Um, you know, I'm happy to fly. Um, nice. Yeah, and perhaps yeah. also the type of aircraft you're flying is relevant as well. It's safe now for this aircraft, yeah. given the conditions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Super. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I think the more we hear about this, the more that actually there's a bit more of an overlap than we first thought. Actually, you know, it seems like, you know, again, this this whole idea of common sense and you know, uh, a simple risk assessment is is something that most pilots really should be doing in the back of their head anyway, shouldn't they? Really, you know, Absolutely, it's yeah. just making it. I suppose it's formalising it, isn't it? And making a paper trail in case you did fly, you hit someone, then you'll need your risk assessment. Then you know that's when things get a bit more serious. So it's it's interesting that you're sort of peddling the same as what hopefully all the RAEs are doing as well really which is great for safety mm. and keeping the uh, the sort of the, the hobby how it is now or, or as, as safe as it has been I suppose too which is yeah. great yeah absolutely yeah yeah, cool. Well, um, I think we've almost got to the end of our bullet points now, haven't we? I think. Um, what do you guys oh, think? Is there so, anything um, else we haven't? 
how uh, how do the guys if if people are interested in in FPV UK how do they um, how do they sign up what's what's the what is the the deal with FPV UK you know what what do they get? Hmm. Okay, yeah. So um, it's fpvuk.org, um, and you sign up online. It's it's all done online. Um, it's uh, nineteen pounds ninety nine per annum, uh, and that gives you five million pound products and public liability insurance. Um, so if your drone damages a car, for instance, I think all the claims we've ever had have been damaged to third party vehicles. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, the insurance will cover that, will cover the, the repair to the car. Um, and obviously, if something more serious happened, if you were to, to injure somebody, it would cover that. Uh, and it's uh, whether it was the drone, that's the products part of the liability. If, it, if the drone had a flyaway, um, I use inverted commas, uh, flyaway, or if it, it had some kind of defect, um, or it was your fault, it was actually, I, I, I made a mistake, um, then you are covered. Um, what it doesn't cover is the aircraft itself. Um, you know, it's not a... Um, sort of damage policy, whole cover where we'll buy you a new drone. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. It, it's, That's maybe it's where the, the, the DJI refresh comes in potentially with yeah. that, I guess, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and what else do we get? Maybe have a quick look at my website. <laughs> <laughs> we do that all the time, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there's also, you get to fly under the Article 16 Operational Authorization. Um, the CAA registration piece that I mentioned, where we'll automatically renew your your uh, CAA ID. Um, we have an optional plastic membership card, which I was going to show up to the camera, but now I've realised it's got my operator ID on it, so I maybe won't. <laughs> you can see the back of it if you like. Yeah, got then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you get the benefit of the FPV UK certificate of competency that I mentioned so you can go and do the the CFC drone law but you can also do the CFC practical and that mm. is um, a practical course which you generally speaking you'd, you'd probably do on your own and then you go to an examiner who will who will watch you do it and sign mm. you off um, and we've got examiners around the UK I think we've got 22 at the moment um, if anyone's keen to become an examiner uh, uh, let me know uh, people out there yeah, and mentors as well. We've got a network of the same network. Some of them do men, men are happy to be a mentor as well. So as you're studying towards it, as you're practicing towards it, they'll they'll give you assistance. Um, and then also drone-related discounts. So um, we've got a number of partnerships with various um, drone outlets, if you like. Drone Doctor, for instance, yeah. um, where you get 10% discount. And there's a long list of different uh, organizations where you get a discount by giving them your either a special code that's on our website or um, using your membership number yeah, um, yeah that's uh, that's the deal uh, it's like cool. I said it's annual um, automatically renews you can turn that off at any time but uh, yeah you get a PDF certificate or your plastic membership card if, if you want one I see yeah, sounds like a pretty good deal to me. To anybody yeah. playing around with FPV or similar, yeah, dive yeah. in. 
Yes, that does Thanks, sound very yeah. good and very, very useful as well, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah, I think that quite nicely takes us to uh, the end of this episode. So um, I'd just like to say uh, thanks very much, uh, Simon. It's been super interesting and hopefully all of our uh, listeners have found it interesting too. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much once again. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's fun. No problem. No, great. And uh, again, thanks, uh, Adam and uh, Matthew, for uh, backing me up as well. And, uh, yeah, I suppose we'll uh, see you all again uh, next week. So thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and also leave us a review if you don't mind too. That will definitely help uh, the algorithms and uh, hopefully push us towards the top of the drone or UAV um, podcast uh, top 10, I suppose, as well. So um, that's pretty much all we've got time for. We'll see you all again next week. Fly safe from blue skies.